I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Today on Two Black Guys with Good Credit, we dug into the crates for a classic episode. We hope you enjoy it. Have you ever been in a McDonald's and said, man, if I could own one of these, I would be killing the game? Well, you would for sure. Franchising is big, huge. Some would say the truth. So we drafted former NBA great Jamal Mashburn, who flipped the script and became the franchise king. With 80 stores in his arsenal, Jamal is the man with the plan and the guy to answer all of your franchising questions. Jamal brought along his partner in crime, Jonathan Sackett, so sit back and pot up. We are talking franchising with Jamal Mashburn and Jonathan Sackett. Big Sean, why are we doing a show about franchising with Jamal? Well, let me just rewind, Arlington. You, let me just say it anyway. We got former NBA All-Star, New York hustler, 50-point dropping on Michael Jordan, Jamal Mashburn <laughs> in the house, and marketing mega Jonathan Sackett here to talk about, for those don't, for talk about how they have transformed richness into wealth through their businesses' franchises. And today, we're going to break down this franchise hustle. So as we say in New York, let's get it poppin'. Listen, man, no one says that in New York anymore. <laughs> let's get lit. lit. Exactly. Say that. See, and you're too old to say lit. Yeah. You're too old to say lit, and you showed your age with get it poppin'. Yeah. But the truth is, everything he said is true, folks. Jamal Mashburn, J- Jonathan Sackett in the building. We're talking franchise. Let's get it. Matt? Thanks, Arlington. This sponsorship break is brought to you by CLEAN. CLEAN is a financial literacy program designed to educate youth in a fun and interactive way through class lessons, workshops, and web seminars. To bring it to a school or organization near you, please visit www.financiallyclean.com. Welcome back to Two Black Guys with Good Credit. We're talking, like always, straight talk for the financially curious And I just have to say something, Jamal, before we get into the whole franchising thing, I just want you to explain what it was like dropping 50 points on Michael Jordan 
in the 94 and 95 Dallas season. I need to hear this story. I think we all need to hear this story. Well, well it actually wasn't on, Michael man. Jordan. It was actually Scotty Pittman. Michael Jordan actually retired that year and Scotty took over. Okay, okay. All right. So Michael wasn't in the building. You dropped it on Scotty. I'll take that. I oh, I think it's I did get that. Michael and for you... some things though. Don't worry about it. So so I didn't let Michael off the hook completely when he came back. So so I've had a couple of thirties and forties on Michael, so I didn't keep him keep him off the chart completely. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he also gave me thirty and forty, so it was pretty much a wash. You know what I mean? So all right, cool. Well, we'll take that. We will definitely take that. And as we do every week to start this show, Dion, the lady with the facts, if you could um, bless us with the history of franchising in America. And as you know, it's always a pleasure, Arlington. Thank you, Dion. So the franchise business model starts to appear all the way back in the Middle Ages. Not sure if you knew this, Mr. Mashburn. So amid all the religious conflicts and the civil uprisings and the plagues, local governments had started giving high church officials uh, a license to maintain order and taxes. I think Sean got one of those licenses. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Medieval courts, lords were also giving individuals the right to hold markets and do business-related activities in return for royalties that gave them protection over commercial territory. So we see where that all began. So the first modern-day franchise business model, however, as we know it uh, today, was actually designed by I.M. Singer and Company. Uh, So the founder, Mr. Isaac uh, Merritt Singer, um, he had created the fastest sewing machine at the time in 1880. And he needed a way to, you know, get his sewing machines to market. So that's when he started partnering with people around the country who were interested in the rights to sell his machines. And the rest is history. I think you're making this up. I wish I could. (laughs) (laughs) They would would revoke. They would revoke my lady with the facts card. So, Jamal, I have a big question for you. Yes. What was your first franchise, and did Chris Sullivan, the founder of Outback, play a role in that? And also tell me how Rick Pitino became a part of that start, that first team. Well, Rick Pitino, he actually recruited me when he was at Providence College um, in the 80s, and he met me at a camp called Five Star. I was a highly recruited player. I was a top 25 player. And so when I decided to go on this course and this journey of um, being a high-quality player, I had to kind of figure out a process of my own because I didn't have anybody in my neighborhood that was going through a particular journey. So I had to ask a lot of questions, and I was always an observer. So me playing with older guys, I said, you know what? Let me flip the script on how I'm going to be recruited. Instead of them recruiting me, let me recruit them. Wow. And um, so I put together a list in my head all – like, I very rarely write anything down. You know, I, I just have the ability to retain things, and it just works better for me. You're the Jay-Z of sports? Huh? I mean, I, 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 re- I recall a lot of things. I, I recall a lot of things. There's sometimes things I don't need to recall, you know what I mean? And, um, um, you know, so, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's, 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 yeah. So it keeps me up at night, you know what I mean? I don't sleep very well, you know, so, but that's a blessing and a curse. But, you know, I'll take it. Um, so I created a process, very simplistic one of where do I want to be and what do I want to do? And Coach Patino, when he recruited me, he was one of the first people to listen to what I really wanted. And that's by, he knew I wanted to be a professional basketball player, but I also told him I want to carry a briefcase. 
He said, oh, okay. Actually, what's funny about that is, um, to me, the briefcase, when I used to ride the train to New York City in, in Catholic school, some people thought the suit signified success. I always looked at the briefcase as signifying success. And to me, the briefcase represented my brain. It didn't actually mean the physical carrying of the briefcase. And so Coach Patino was like, okay. And so I got gauges from other coaches who recruited me, and they would look at me and say, why do you want to carry a briefcase? You're going to be a professional basketball player. So they dismissed that dream. And they didn't realize that those dreams were tied together. And Coach Patino realized that. So Coach Patino was like, I can help you with that. So... Long story on how Coach Patino came a part of it. Chris Sullivan, uh, when I became a junior and I had uh, Coach Patino help me turn pro, um, he said to me, remember you want to carry a briefcase. Well, we're going to sit down and we're going to hire a business manager and an agent. Nice. And start along that process of being very intelligent or a savvy investor. And so I choose. I chose at an early age to take a different approach where I didn't want people to know what I was doing. And it didn't start coming out until after I stopped playing. Can I take the elephant out the room? Mm-hmm. I'm going to put it out there. You try. You have a chip on your shoulder. You tried to break down the stereotypes because I'm this yeah. black athlete that can dunk a basketball. We're going to use my brain. Yeah. We're not going to use any of my other assets that you think I can only bring to the table. But I'm going to show them that there's another side of me. And if you don't respect that, if you don't take that in, then we're not going to do business together. Correct. I just looked at it where I'm not going to... Dollars really don't matter to me. And I think it's... um, And what I mean by that, dollars do matter. It helps you do certain things, helps other people do certain things. But um, that's not the core of me. But Coach Patino introduced me to Chris Sullivan. And at the time, Chris Sullivan was starting Outback. And he was looking for limited partners and specifically um, people that had income that can take the opportunity to, 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 um, to participate. So that's how so I got started. So was Outback the first franchise? First franchise. The, and I was the, lim- That you bought, was, bought into was Outback? Yeah, I was a limited partner in that. So that's when I started to understand structures. Okay. And um, um, so Did we you buy one at one time. You bought a we bought we bought kind of like interest in a number of different stores. So we kind of de-risked it in a lot of ways. So I had interest in forty stores in Northern Off California. Well, we grew into that, and um, and that was oh, while wow. you were playing basketball. Yeah, while I was that was my first oh, investment. This is still happening. Yeah, you playing? Still, yeah. So. still playing. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Yeah, this was yeah, this yeah. is this was probably I was fortunate enough to. At that particular time when I got drafted in 1993, that I had a sneaker contract. Fila gave me a lot of money at the particular time um, because at that time they were giving out a lot of money to to uh, high-profile players. And you bought stake with it. And, 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 yeah, actually, and that's what happened. And so I already had um, dollars already set aside before I even got drafted. And um, so that's how it all started for I, me. I always like to say in business, and we I teach financial literacy, and I always tell my students, you know, don't be desperate. Don't sow desperation because desperation shows vulnerability. And what you've done, regardless of the dollar amount, as we always try to tell our listeners, you leverage your situation and your audience, your employers knew that, hey, I'm not desperate. I have other hustles going on. I've diversified my portfolio. And when you got that big check, because I truly believe we all have an opportunity where we get a sizable amount of money. Mm-hmm. It may be $5 million to you, maybe $5,000 mm-hmm. to somebody else. But if you leverage and use that money properly, it can grow into other things. With me, I got my first bonus from Wall Street. 
I instead of everybody went and bought motorcycles, bought went on trips. I used that to buy my first property. From then, mm. I began able to flip properties. Now, you mm. said you used that to start your real business. Instead of the feline money, you didn't feel out with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you yeah. invested it. Yeah. Oh, I did some things that <laughs> yeah, I was like, you know, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I was what, 20 years old. I'm like, oh, right, I'm going to win. And I agree yeah. with that philosophy as well, yeah. too, because you yeah. want to enjoy I mean, life is a journey. I don't Correct. believe in waiting until you get 65 to say, I'm going to start living Correct. now. Correct. You're like, hey, a portion of this I'm going to enjoy, but a part of it I'm going to reinvest in me and totally diversify from the NBA. The Selling steaks and playing basketball, two separate entities have nothing in common. If one is up, the other is down. They're total separate. So, yeah. And one of the well, things- they do have one thing in common. It's called franchises. There you yes, go. They there do. You and go. Dion, can you give me the definition of a franchise, please? Absolutely. So it it's a legal and commercial relationship between the owner and the trademark, um, the brand name, uh, advertising symbol. And uh, the individual. So that's the franchisor has the trademark. The individual is the franchisee. Right? And um, the franchise governs the method of conducting business between right. the two parties. Would you agree? I, I would say, you know, as I got involved in the franchise business, um, it, it happened by actually, I never even thought I was going to be in the franchise business when I was young, I just wanted to be an entrepreneur. You know, I've turned away deals because it wasn't the right partner. Right. Um, it wasn't the right situation. It didn't feel right. Even if all the research and all the numbers looked well, I looked beyond the numbers. Mm-hmm. And I think anything is franchisable. But I think that's a catch-22 for a lot of people because they also think their idea is franchisable. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> that's not, that's not, everybody wants to, like I get pitched a lot of times on people, well, I have a gym, and I, I think I want a franchise. And I'm like, well, why do you want a franchise? So you don't even have, um, you don't have the support. You don't have the infrastructure. You haven't um, built a, a, a standard of operating procedure. You, haven't, um, you don't have the new data of how somebody should open up a business or why they should open up it in that particular area, what type of resources and tools. Um, you're too asset heavy. You're still operating your business. You haven't grown into that. So for me... I've looked at myself as a business guy that happens to be in the franchise space. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this now. You know, you talk about pro athletes and kind of elite athletes like myself. And yeah, you, there you, you go. Know, there you go. Yeah. But there's right, like common Sean. people you out there. You should see like, Sean's jump shot. There's it's, common it's, people it's out there like, like Arlington. You know, mm-hmm. I would call him. He's my friend of 20 years, but he's common. You know, so how would you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a backhand. With a much better jump shot. <laughs> right? Can franchises be great for, you know, people like Arlington, for the average Joe and Jane? As You know, do you think it's a great opportunity? Hey, to I'm the working man. I'll tell anybody. I am the working man. That's a great question because there's a lot of ways you can go about that. And the way that I looked at it for the um, person who, do you have capital? Um, what is your expertise? A little bit. I got a little something. Yeah. What is your expertise? I got a little of that. All right. Okay. You got expertise. Let's define that expertise. Um, oh. And uh, <laughs> we got to get in that particular frame. And then... What is the perfect match and what are you willing to do? Most people look at franchising as, you know, uh, um, the the McDowell's guy on coming to America. You know, he made a bunch of money, you know what I mean? And, and uh, he's living the great life and all those different things. But what they didn't show you was that he was actually working the business. It turned into 18-hour days. So for me, um, I'm always, even though I'm in the franchise business, I'm always leery of directing people in the franchise space 
today. And why I say that is because the franchise space has really changed and really evolved. It's no longer mom and pop. What I mean by mom and pop is one store, two stores. It's become more of can you grow out areas and can you accumulate regions? You know, um, that's when private equity entered into the game because they're looking for returns. They're looking for cash flow. Are you a development person? Um, meaning, are you going to develop an area? That takes capital. Right. Are you a guy that's right. going to be, that wants to acquire a store? That takes experience in understanding how to cut expenses and how to judge uh, different franchises. So entering into the franchise game, has really been an interesting ploy from the standpoint of franchisors have become asset light. So they're basically ploying off the, the heavy risk of real estate um, um, and operations to get people to purchase into their system where they can just basically sell you the, um, the playbook, essentially. You know, so yeah, don't you have a stat about that? Huh? I sure do. So I think Dion had a stat about that because it's interesting what you're saying, Jamal. Just to give you an idea, according to the International Franchise Association, uh, the estimated number of franchise locations in the U.S. is now close to 400,000 in 75 industries. So the, actually, franchises are employing uh, over 10 million workers at this time. Uh, they're saying 2,500 companies offer franchising opportunities. So the average Jane and Joe are, are stepping up. Yeah. And so you have to ask the question on the flip side is if something is so valuable, why would people want to give it away or have somebody pay a royalty for it? So the way I've always looked at it is I want to be a part of an exclusive club where people can access. Mm -hmm. There's value to that. So if I'm a new business and I only have 10 locations, Mm -hmm. why am I so willing to give up that upside to somebody else? Because as part of their initial plan is to lay that risk off on somebody else. Um, if you think about how McDonald's, and, and not how McDonald's grew, but like, for example, Chick-fil-A. It's very hard to get a Chick-fil-A franchise. They just opened one near my house? They'll actually partner with you, but you can only grow to f- maybe three to four locations. They'll do all the build out. They'll do all that. They'll keep the real estate. So you actually become an employee of theirs. And why is that important? If you go to any Chick-fil-A, they probably have the best service in the fast food industry. And because of their culture, their, 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 um, their teaching, their training, a lot of that, when you pass it off to other franchisors, becomes diluted. Service tends to go down. So if I'm Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A remains private. in and out remains private. They don't hand out franchises. So I ask the question myself, well, do I want a Chick-fil-A or do I want a McDonald's? Mm-hmm. I probably want a Chick-fil-A because they won't let me in. Same thing with NBA teams. Why do so many people want to buy them at these high valuations? There's value to it. They don't allow so many people in. So I'm always leery of franchises and, and um, uh, from the standpoint that there's so many of them. And you're probably doing yourself a better service to open up your own business. Interesting. Oh, wow. franchise king. Well, I know, Breaking news. I know you've been sitting <laughs> yeah. there. I've known you for a month plus, maybe longer, and I've never seen Jonathan Sackett so quiet. <laughs> <laughs> He's tamed. <laughs> so I oh, I'm just ramping up, man. I'm getting ready. Let's go. I'm going to give you the mic. I'd love to know how you and Mr. Mashburn are hooked up because you guys are the, the successful odd couple, I would yeah. like to say. 
Yeah. Um, you know, J- Jamal wasn't a very good basketball player when I met him. So after <laughs> after years of coaching Jamal on a jump shot, look look where he's yeah, come. Exactly. <laughs> no, it was funny because uh, I was living in New York at the time, and uh, I w- had a what is my title? Chief something yep. at North America at Ogilvy or whatever. And Jamal and I had some mutual friends, acquaintances, I would say. Mm-hmm. I had I told you guys this story last night. Um, I went to dinner with Ti. And uh, I got stiffed with the bill of fourteen hundred bucks. You remember this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't there. Oh, yeah, he wasn't. Jamal, Jamal wasn't there. That's why I got the bill. Yeah. So anyway, uh, these acquaintances of ours said that Jamal wanted to meet with me because he was spending so much money on a monthly basis on his marketing and advertising, and he said he wanted to know what he was getting for it. So you know, Jamal's a student of the game. So that night. After a couple of miscues, we ended up going out for dinner, and in my basement I had a full basketball court. So after dinner, we Jamal and I came back, and there was like three guys with suits with us, and we were drinking some Blantons uh, at two in the morning and <laughs> shooting. I'm getting ba- the visual. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we were shooting baskets, and uh, I, I'll never forget this. Jamal sunk nine three pointers in a row and missed the tenth. And I said, oh, that's why you retired. <laughs> um, but, uh, but that night, I, I'll never forget, Jamal, after, you know, we were talking business and shooting baskets, and he said, well, why don't you join me? Why don't we do something together? That's how the marriage began. Yeah. And there you go. Nice. Quick question for you. You didn't walk in here with the briefcase. Mm-hmm. You were that guy that envisioned it on the train and so forth. Now fast forward to, you know, your life now. Do you, and, you're, and I know I'm my worst critic. Do you believe you're that guy on the train now with the black briefcase? Um, you know, um, haven't arrived yet. Um, still learning. Um, so you're not that guy yet. Nah. 80 franchises, successful NBA career, all-star. You're not that guy. Mm-mm, nah, I mean, um, I had, a, I had a coach tell me one time, and it was Pat Rowley one time, and he said to me, if you thought you arrived, that's been your decline. And I, Great broke, line. I broke it down from the standpoint of, you know, um, that decline and you where you're at in your process and where you're at in your journey. I've always been a guy that's been a worker. I mean, my philosophy has evolved over a period of time. I'm at a particular point. I'm 45 years old, accomplished a lot. My philosophy has evolved where I'm now in a mode of helping others. There's a reason why I'm doing this particular show with you guys because I think it's my duty and responsibility to share some information that I have. So I'm at a particular point where I'm going to continue to grow in the business world, but it's also to help others who want to receive that information that I have. There's a lot of pent-up information in me, and it takes some people to draw it out of me. Um, oh, that's our job. Yeah, exactly. That's our job. Exactly. So, exactly. exactly. That is our job. Exactly. We're sitting exactly. with Jamal Mashburn. We are talking about franchising. And, man, he has a lot to share. It's all good information. Sit tight, two black guys with good credit. We're getting it. Jamal Mashburn, Jonathan Sackett. NickNightDirect.com is the fast, easy way to shop online. To buy an item from any U.S. website, just go to NickNightDirect.com. That's N-I-C-N-A-T Direct.com. Choose your method of payment and we'll ship, handle duties, and deliver your item straight to your door. I'm Sean of NickNightDirect.com and you have my word.
Welcome back to Two Black Guys with Good Credit. We are hanging with Jamal Mashburn, the franchise king, and his partner in crime, Jonathan. Jamal, will you just do one commercial for me, Sackett? <laughs> I like that. I like that. I like that. So there's a saying in the franchising world, Jamal, you're in business for yourself, but not by yourself because you have a lot of support. Can you expound upon that for the person that, that for our listening audience? Well, you have you have a lot of support. I mean, you have a brand, you have um, um, help with operations, you have help with marketing, um, you have different people from the franchisor um, who can help you uh, with different things. Uh, they, they, they should, if they're a viable franchise and been around for a long period of time and have, have seen a landscape change, they, they should be uh, evolving with the time. So um, a lot of the big ones can help you with, with uh, financing as well. Um, so there's, there's definitely a lot of support. Um, there's definitely a lot of um, a help. Um, but as, as you know, there's no guarantees in life. There's no real, um, uh, you're definitely going to win. Obviously, that comes down to how much you know about the business, know about the market that you're in. And, um, you know, comes down to also, too, at the, at the basic end of the day, supply and demand in that particular market. Jamal, franchises we all know are a turnkey system, right? Mm-hmm. But they often cost more and they can reach profitability faster than if you just start a business on your own. But the question is, does the reward outweigh the cost? Because often franchises can be 250000 k to start. There's fees, there's leasing, there's equipment, there's build-out. Is the risk versus the reward? And remember, previously you gave a breaking news statement, I don't always vouch for the franchise. Yeah, I mean, um, so... The way I've always looked at that is you got to really look at, you know, cost of entry. What are those fees? I mean, there's a, a franchise, franchise disclosure documents that should um, tell you what those fees are. But obviously, there are always costs that just pop up. Um, and then also data of one thing that I always ask is, um, are they on the cut, cutting edge of um, retrieving data? And what I mean by that is, can you tell me from a numbers perspective and how did you accumulate this information why a franchise will be good in this particular location? Not just mm-hmm. from the realtor, but from the franchise or what are the rooftops? Why is Starbucks in a particular location? And then there's a lo- another location three blocks down. There's a mm-hmm. reason for that. You know what I mean? They see their sales jump. There's more people they can penetrate, more people they can serve. Um, right. They look at, uh, you know, uh, household income in that particular area. Where's the development going in that particular area? So there's a lot of questions other than than just, you know, cost of entry. I think a lot of people look at, oh, low, low cost of entry, uh, let me get in, but um, um, and think that there should be involved in that particular franchise because they utilize that service or they utilize that product, and that shouldn't be always be the case. Well, I think there, I, I would just add to that that there's, there's risk-reward, right? And there's also an interdependence of the parts because – we were talking at the break about um, we. I used to head up Global McDonald's uh, for the agency, and I always found there's an adversarial relationship in a lot of cases on a lot of issues between the franchisors and the franchisees. So you, you know you gotta being in an agency, and, and you know we've got AllScope.com right now. We play referee a lot, so. You know, the, if you guys remember the lawsuit for Burger King, that that the the risk reward factor was that they the franchisees sued the franchisors because the offers the agency was making was losing them money. Mm-hmm. 
So right. it's you know Jamal talked about brand. It's not just building the brand. There's got to be a trust factor that all three of those components between agency, franchisor, and franchisee can can work together and come to a solution. And that that to me has been one of the hardest things about franchising. Um, for me, I always look at you know need, supply and demand in that particular area. Um, mm-hmm. Do you need another burger joint when you got six other burger joints? Do you need another f- fast food restaurant? Probably not. You know, if you're in a, um, a high income area in certain places, do you really want a franchise or do you want something authentic? You know what I mean? Right. I mean, mm-hmm. um, things have changed. Things have really changed in the franchise business where people are not, especially millennials, people don't, millennials don't really trust franchises. You know, oh, wow. you know, they look at the experience, the 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 uh, their relationship with that particular. They're more community oriented. And um, so and so you have to that's really changing. I mean, you have to look at it from that particular s- spectrum. You know, coffee houses are popping up. But can I push back on that for a minute, Jamal? Mm-hmm. Like where I live in where I live out here in Westlake, California, we literally have in probably a six block radius. 10 Starbucks mm-hmm. and they keep opening these little drive through Starbucks where you just drive up, make your order and, and drive out. But th- when you say millennials don't believe in franchises, they're opening every time I turn around, there's a new Starbucks in my neighborhood. I look at that particular analogy of six Starbucks opening up is they actually have data within their stores of, you know, they actually know what a store should be generating. Like, I don't know what the numbers are. Let's just throw a roundabout number, a million dollars. So then they say, okay, well, it's met that demand. We can open up another store. But then look at it on the other flip side of it is if you're a a developer or a a landowner, wouldn't you want a Starbucks in your particular piece of property? You know, so you're almost, it's it's a catch-22. It's like if I'm a developer of a particular area, I want a Starbucks as an anchor. Right. You know, um, um, so it, you kind of got to look at it of what that relationship is. Yeah. The, you know, the one thing is the bigger companies. And, and like I said, having worked with McDonald's, a lot of times what they'll do is they've got a concept and a software called hexagramming. And what a hexagram does is it will isolate the in the household income, the easy right turn, the geography, the real estate. Uh, and it will give you it'll give you a. Um, uh, a numerical way that you can calculate if it's going to be profitable or not. So oh, wow. if you look into hexagram, that the, the it'll, there's two online tutorials that'll show you how they do it. So let me ask you a question. Two guards, power forward, small forward, center, and coach are what's needed to be successful on the court. What type of players or professionals are needed to be successful in the franchisee world? Um, that, that's a... That's a heavy question. Um, okay, we we struck out the um, what those players are being defined, and then you add success in there, and to utilize sports as that as, as we're working in back into uh, the business world, to find success. The success is to win a championship, right? So if you just have two guards, a power forward, a small forward, and a center. Now you got to go to what are the quality of those players? Are those quality players? Um, are they at the high level? In the NBA world and even at the college basketball world, you need three all-stars to win a championship. It's been proven. LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh. Now they all serve their different purpose. They're all superstars. So in the franchise world, same thing. In the business world, same things. 
who's your quality player? What type of style of player are you playing? Um, uh, do you have a world-class CFO, chief financial officer, numbers guy? Do you have a great operator? You know, do you have a, um, a, a good marketing person? And they don't. If you guys don't mind, I'll, I'll interrupt here. Uh, you need a great advertising yeah. guy. Yeah. Who's that guy? Yeah. Jonathan's like his Isaiah. So my my personal thought is is um you know and you sometimes you don't have great any of those and you have people that mess together team wise and chemistry wise. So obviously you want quality people. Um, you need quality people in your staff and different things like that. And also you need a culture to be developed as well. You know, um, how do you train people? How do you retain people is one of the main things in, 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 in the way that I look at it. And the other thing that I always kind of capture me and my business partner is how are we helping them grow within right. the team? That's a true leader. You know, um, because at the end of the day, I've been a part of concepts and we're part of a concept in Lexington, Kentucky called boot camp. And, and the gentleman who operates our Papa John's, he wanted to get involved in it. Okay. So we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll participate in your partner and being in that because I want him to grow and I want him to be satisfied. And um, my also philosophy is when you find great people, give them equity stake in the company. I so believe in that. You know, See, I agree I, with that. I know Sean does. But I want to ask you, what about like lawyers to help you get through the con the, the initial contracts and understanding that component or like having a business manager or consultant to help you navigate the financial components of the deal? Yeah, I, I don't think in the, in the initial part of it, I don't think you need to have all this in-house. I, I think that, that um, the way I'm talking about it is how my businesses and infrastructure is constructed today. Right. Yeah, take it back to the first, the first, the first deal. The first guy, consultants uh, are good. You got to find the right consultants. I know plenty of those. Um, uh, the attorney, to me, that's a service provider. You know what I mean? I mean, that's a guy that you you hire by the hour and different things like that. They can look over the documents and and uh, uh, you know draft a, a particular contract. Agreement. Yeah. And are you drafting that agreement, or are you being given an agreement that you may? may be able to modify or just have to accept. I was a little different because we had capital and we had experience, so we can actually negotiate franchise fees, and we're, we're buying a particular franchise in bulk, so we negotiate right. certain things in certain terms, you know, deferment of this, deferment of that, what has value, you know. Um, and then you also got to look at it from the standpoint of, you know, at the end of the day, are you financeable? That's okay. a big question. You know, okay. are you financeable? What is your credit? You know, what is what is uh, right. what type of access of capital do you have? You know, right. Because, That's what we're talking about. You know. Well, the one thing that I'd add to that, too, though, is that and Jamal, you can argue this one. But but uh, Jamal's always gone at things boldly. Mm -hmm. So even when he probably didn't quite have the qualifications to go bold, he still did it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it's, it's for me, it's uh, I've always went out and found that partner that can, I was always good at identifying not only what I have, but really being clear in what I don't have. And I think that's the athlete in me. And that's something that was ingrained in me at a young age, um, self-taught and also by hall of fame coaches of what are my weaknesses and my deficiencies? What are they? 
I can't go left. Well, I need to work on my left hand. How do I, how do I go about that? I can't shoot a jump shot. What is the correct way of shooting a jump shot? You know, um, so I've always evaluated and looked at the, the, um, what I don't have and how do I acquire it. Most people just look at the upside of things. I right. look at the downside of things. So let me ask you a question now, leading into that. What, two questions I have for you. You mentioned the word credit. Do you, do you like manage your credit, look at your credit score like everybody else does? Oh, yeah, yeah. of course. And, 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 oh, that's great to hear because credit still plays an important part in your business oh, Of today. course, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, take the elephant out of the room once again. We're all in business. You know, part of going in business is to make money. Mm-hmm. So when you look at a franchise and look at an opportunity, what kind of return on investment are you looking for? What should our listeners think of as a decent return if they were to get into a franchise? It's all, it's all um, I mean, you know, you'll, you'll, it's interesting, an interesting question. And obviously a return is broken down in a lot of different ways. You know, you can look at it from a lifestyle perspective. What do you need for growth? Um, what do you need to maintain your particular lifestyle? Are you um, saving money? There's a lot of ways to look at it. And I think when you get first get in the business world, everybody's pitching you on a 20% return. I got to have a 20% return. Realistically, how many 20% returns have we seen? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Realistically, you know what I mean? So I you're mean, trying to beat the rate of inflation. Yeah, some yeah, extra in your yeah exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, I look at it from a, a realistic standpoint. People p- pitched all these hot pie in the sky things, but you're not really getting a 20% return at the end of the day. I mean, um, you know, is it a 6%, 8%, you know, uh, um, you know, Looking at the stock market, what's the stock market throwing off? You know, obviously politics come into play in that, you know, and different things like that, what people believe and trust and and different things. So it's all relative. That's a loaded question. You know, I can sit here and say I'm looking at, okay, I want a 10 percent return. But how is that? How is that justified? You know, um, um, you know, everybody's different. Uh, What industry is that? Is that market? You know, Um, could you beat the market? You know, are you running your business efficiently? So I think it just. That 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 becomes a, a crutch. I think people are looking for, and you know, be a part of your business, run your business, be the best you can possibly be. So let's talk about the fees. We've talked about profitability. We've talked about opportunity, location, teams. Let's talk about the fees. The average royalty fees paid by a franchisee to a franchisor range from three to six percent of monthly gross sales, and can be up to ten percent on net. What's up with that? Hey, so that's a, that brought me to my point of understanding what business you're really in. And that's okay. the difference in franchising. I've always liked franchise ors that have a stake and have a, a stores that they're operating because then they start to understand the fees and how it impacts the operator. Right. So you have to understand what business you're in. And, and, and I, I, I tell people, it's like, okay, are you really, are certain franchises in the business of that particular service or product, or are they in the marketing business? Oh, interesting. What's an example of a franchise that's in the marketing vis- business versus a franchise that's in the business of that service? Well, they're all in the marketing business, and it's just how heavy they are in. And what I mean by marketing business is, are they marketing it to justify what their value is on the street if they're a publicly traded company? Are they marketing it to within the franchise system to acquire more franchisees? Are they in the business of actually operating the business to make it as efficient as possible so that the franchisees can be profitable? 
or some combination. Gotcha. Yeah, right. yeah. So okay. gotcha. that's how I've always looked at it. So when you start to look at royalties and you start to look at a company that is asset light, meaning they don't operate any business, that tells me that they're in positioning themselves to sell at okay. some level. You know what I mean? They're not going to mm-hmm. be your partner for a long period of time. Um, right. uh, meaning the, the core ball. of that business. They may be selling out to private equity firms and different things like that. I mean, you can look at any any business. I mean, um, I'm trying to think of one comes to mind. Nothing's coming uh, 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 to mind right now. For example, a lot of people, I've had Dunkin' Donuts before, great brand. But I've always had this argument with Dunkin' Donuts, and I says, are you guys a national brand or a regional brand? They're like, oh, we're a national brand. We do national commercials. But to me, they're you're a regional, regional brand. Yeah. yeah, they're regional. That's true. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So my, my thing on Dunkin' Donuts is, okay, so if a store is doing well in the Northeast, that's because people grew up on Dunkin' Donuts. They consume yeah. coffee differently in the yeah. Northeast. They consume it all day. And in the Midwest, they consume it in the morning time. They don't consume it in the evening. You know what I mean? I don't, and they come and get donuts. I don't want you to come and get a donut at Dunkin' Donuts. I want you to come in and get coffee. That's my high margin product. Right, because it's wild. Yeah. So, so in, and if I'm in the Midwest, I'm looking at it from the standpoint of, okay, people are not coming in my store every day to get coffee at 9, 10 o'clock at night. They're not using the store in the same way people in the Northeast as a congregation spot, Wi-Fi, and all these different things. Shoot, I still have labor here at 4 o'clock. Can I close the store at 12 o'clock? Can I close the store at 1 o'clock? But the people in the Northeast are looking at me and say, well, you're not meeting your numbers. Well, they consume the product, and it's taken me a long time to educate the consumer on what the product is other than just a breakfast brand. Well, that's right. But, you, get, you know, Dunkin' Donuts trained you not to stay there all day. Correct. Right? Correct. So I, now if anybody from Dunkin' Donuts corporate is listening, I want to volunteer this idea. Jamal Mashburn is Dunkin' on Dunkin'. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, not, and, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a great brand, but it's, it's a great brand. But I've always had this conversation, and even with my business partner, is like, okay, well, what is it? You know what I mean? And sometimes we can get fooled in because people are participating in national ad campaigns that it's a national brand. It's a national no, it's brand by their ad spend. But you always how think people of Dunkin' as an East Coast brand. Yeah, it's an East Coast brand. East They're Coast trying brand. to evolve into a. But just to, just to break it down for you, because we've talked about marketing, how heavily, how important that is. Um, you pay a fee for that, everyone. So that averages about two percent, also monthly, of your sales. So keep that in mind. It in addition to the monthly, yeah, it could be more. more. I mean, yes, uh, that's and we, an average. We paid more in uh, um, when Papa John's was with the NFL as a national sponsor. We paid more in advertising, but. You got to think about it from the standpoint of pizza and football. Sundays mm-hmm. makes perfect sense. Yeah, no, it makes you know, sense. You can go up to twelve percent. Yeah, you're, you're yeah, absolutely yeah, right on average. Right, yeah, and then don't, and don't forget, you've got your monthly royalty fees. I just want to really break it down for everyone. So there's the monthly fees for royalties, right? right. There's the upfront one cost fee, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Don't forget that as well. In addition to the marketing fees, so just really keep all of that in mind when you're trying to process whether or not this is something. That you want to well, that leads into a good question. With. I know Jamal, you buy more in volume, but do you think, in your experience, 
that the typical person can negotiate a franchising fee. If I wanted to open up a Dunkin' Donuts, like one, one dog, I knew you yeah, did. I'm trying to get in. Two guys. Okay, so okay, so so let's 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 be clear on that. You're going in and buy one Dunkin' Donuts. One Dunkin' okay? Donuts. So you go into Nike and you buy one one pair of sneakers. Flat. One. Do you think they're really going to give you the discount on that? So it's standard. Yeah, it's all. I mean, it's it's certain. Yeah, it goes with anything. Your purchasing power, right? You know, I mean, um, um, obviously, if you're doing, if you're going there to buy twenty existing stores and you have the right to develop an area, they're going to cut you a break on on um, on uh, on fees, obviously, because they make it up in volume. But if you're going in there to buy one store or develop one store, I don't think it's going to be um, that feasible. Wow. All right. Well, what now? Obviously, if Sean and I and Dion want to open one store, it's not the best thing for us to do. <laughs> yeah, One store, one rib, that's not yeah. a good idea. But what happens if the franchise fails? Do you get help on a sinking ship? Or suppose they do something to negatively impact the brand, like say something crazy. What's your recourse? Um, that's a great question. I mean... Um... You know, there's a obviously there's a commitment that they're selling to you as far as um, you know their process, also product and different things like that. I mean, I'm sure there's recourse. I've never had that experience where you know the product was was malfunctioned or 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 you know there was some type of hiccup in the supply chain or anything like that. I'm sure there's recourse well, remember, to that. Remember Chipotle. Yeah. Chipotle had a problem with their food, and then Chick Fil A had the guy that came out and was like, "He's against uh, the homosexual community." Well, yeah. yeah, that's right. Chipotle's problem though was because they were dealing with uh, local distributors. So yeah, that's. I mean that that. But that if you own up, one, but people are still kind of looking at it suspect. Well, There's a Chipotle you know, in Malibu, and people always say, "No, nah, I don't really eat Chipotle anymore." No, that's right. And I think it's interesting because Jamal and I, when we first met that night, we were talking about the McRib, mm-hmm. and you got to remember: Do you guys know why the McRib is a burger of, uh, you know, a, it's only offered like quarterly? Do you guys know why? I do. Yeah, I do. You it's, told me the other night. It's, 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 it's because you cheater. It's um, it's because the pork prices. Because McDonald's single handedly depletes the world's pork supply when they offer the McRib. And yes, there's real pork in there. But Fascinating. I'm going to say this. You know, being from the hood, I've been to McDonald's and other places. Only in the hood, we're like, you don't have any fries. Like you ran out of ribs. Like well, that's an inventory you, issue. That, I mean, yeah, that's, so does that give you reason to say like, you know. Is it, a, is it a franchisee problem? Is it a franchisor problem? Like mm-hmm. when they're, they, they're constantly running out of things and they're not meeting kind of the expectation of the franchise. Um, that's, I, I mean, that's uh, like, for example, you mentioned Chipotle. I've never looked at a Chipotle, but I don't think they're franchised. You know, I think they're privately owned and privately held. I know at the beginning, McDonald's was a partner in Chipotle right. um, and they sold their interests. So the way I, I've always looked at it is, you know, that's an inventory issue. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, the way I've always looked at franchising is, is what's my cost? Can I control my cost? And in certain businesses, and I looked at Dunkin' Donuts from that standpoint, is you're basically managing expenses. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, um, Dunkin' Donuts is a prime example. Um, there, there's a uh, uh, when I looked at Dunkin' Donuts, you're always managing costs. So sometimes that impacts the experience of the customer because you don't have certain things. 
You know what I mean? Um, and then also the quality of the donut. Is it overnight? Is it fresh? You know, do we have to throw out certain things? So when I look at the maturation of a business over, let's say, a three-year period, you know, you're going to have to figure out what your customers or your partners desire. You know, they may want to come in there and they only want a jelly donut one day, but we only have one, but they're not selling. You know what I mean? So we can't right. carry all these jelly donuts because at the end of the day, we're throwing away 12 of them. Right. You know I mean? So it's, it's, it, it becomes a fine line in understanding your customer base, and that's always changing. And that's why I say franchising is very tough because there's not that flexibility of you to change a particular process on the fly. But what I'm trying to get at, Jamal, is, is there a recourse if something negative is done by the franchisor? Now, when you say recourse, you mean like um, like what, legal what happens? Action? Like the guy, some, the owner says something crazy. My my business declines by ten or fifteen percent. Is there? What do I do? I just have to eat it and try and fight through it because that's an intangible that I actually can't control. Yeah, it's a tangible you can't control, and you know, there's uh, in these particular documents. I mean, there's language that um, doesn't hold the franchise or responsible, and different things like that. And uh. obviously, you know, uh, in this day and age in America, well, for as long as there's been a legal system, there's always recourse. But it's a matter of you're going to win that recourse. Yeah, and there's also <laughs> yeah. Let's, not, let's not forget there's also regional boards. Yeah. So, like we in the past, in the past, we've. Uh, We've helped help to monitor those boards. We've helped to negotiate on behalf of those boards so that they have representation back to corporate as well. So those right. do exist, and there's checks and balances just like in anything. No, there's also, okay, cool. there's, there's not a, just like in any relationship, you know, the relationship doesn't always run smoothly, and there are hiccups, and there are um, what people see on the street as far as what the public wants, and you're in the store, can be different from what corporate sees. So, right. I mean... Um, so there it is, that adversarial relationship, and, and um, especially if you have multiple units, your voice just tends to be a lot, lot louder than somebody who has one or two stores. So we talked about um, getting in. So the question is now, how do we get out if we want to get out? Leave. Are you contractually obligated? Or is there commitments? You know, is I mean, there's buy sell agreements. I mean, it's just like any other business. You know, you can buy and sell. Certain franchises require approval of a particular operator. Like for example, in the car business, they're not going to sell a uh, a car dealership to a uh, guy who has non-car experience, you know, that doesn't know how to operate a business no matter how much wealth you have and you can afford it because it impacts their brand, it impacts the customers and impacts a lot of different things. So obviously, you know, um you know, your exit depending upon the size of it, you know, can be different. I mean, but if you have one store or two stores and the other thing that people fail to realize in the franchise business is your the marketing and your point of sale system and upgrading of Wi-Fi and all those different things, those are cost, right. you know. And I've found opportunities in people who don't want to re-image a certain store. Adapting to your current environment. Yeah. Not understanding yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, we always say begin with the end in mind yeah. as well, right? So know, know what your plan is before you go into it. And then also there's re-imaging of stores. There's a certain look that a... A McDonald's needs to have. Um, when you go into when I went to a McDonald's, what 
10 years, 15 years ago, it looks different now. Correct. You know, how people enter the store. Yeah, <laughs> cafe, there's different things. So there's different costs in that. And can you sustain that? You know what I mean? And I think another thing that people um, fail to realize as well is what are my working capital needs? You know, people don't address that as well. You know, um, how can I grow through um, what, what capital do I have access to that goes back to credit, that goes back to a lot of different things? People don't address working capital. They just, they just address, you know, um, entry. I need 250 for this. I need that. You know, I need a net worth of this. But do you have liquidity that you can Jamal, do that business? Yes. With all your experience, mm-hmm. And you've been in the franchising business for a long time. Have you ever thought of becoming a franchisor? The idea of maybe, and you can keep this if you want to run with it, instead of Smash Burger, Mash Burgers. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, uh, um, yeah, because calling them Sack Burgers. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah exactly. Sack Burgers. We thought about that. Close to yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've I've thought about that. I mean, um, that to me, that is a. Um, I don't know if that's a franchising question as much as that's a finance question. And what I mean by finance question is, when you own a brand and it's grown to a global level, or you have aspiration to global world, it becomes a financing. It becomes a deal. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I look at that as a deal. I look at that as is uh, 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 you're dealing with the natures of J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs. You know, what I mean, does the numbers make sense? I mean, you're not actually you're sitting at the board of directors level and you're acquiring something and somebody else will be running that. So to me, that's more of a mover and shaker deal than actually running a uh, unless you're taking it private. You know, and I think personally, you know, um, that that's a whole nother animal. And I've always said, you know, in order to be good at something, you're going to know exactly who you are and what you are and what time you want to spend with it and be sure and clear of what business you're in, you know. And to me, owning a global brand, that's more deal making than anything. All right. All right, Jamal. So I guess no mash. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. Not yet. Not yet. See, yeah. that's what I like about Jonathan. He's the advertising guy. He's not yeah, letting yeah, it go. Yeah. Jonathan's like, not yet. Not Gotta yet. Spin it. Gotta yeah. spin it. Well, say, stick, keep it locked to two black guys with good credit. We're talking to the franchise king, Jay Mashburn, and his partner in crime, Jonathan Sackett. There's levels to this game, people. Sean and I guess, and Dion, we just can't buy one Dunkin' Donuts. Keep it locked. Matt. This commercial break is brought to you by Canvas Malibu. Canvas Malibu is a boutique and contemporary art gallery in Malibu, California. At Canvas Malibu, it starts with art, and their curated offering of shoes, apparel, accessories, and art are a definite must-see. Canvas Malibu is located in the Malibu Country Mart or online at canvasmalibu.com. Welcome back to Two Black Guys with Good Credit. We're hanging with my man Jay Mashburn and Jonathan Sackett. Now we're at the speed round. You know how it works. It's rapid-fire questions and rapid-fire answers. Sean, take it away, my brother. Well, Jamal, as you know, we've shown you this NBA financial literacy playbook that we created because we believe that not a lot of pro athletes are financially literate. 
What do you think? What percentage of NBA fi- players do you think are financially literate? Uh, I'm going to say all of them. I think, um, and the reason why I say all of them, they might not be financially literate in a particular space um, um, from a natural, from an unnatural standpoint. What I mean by that is they're financially literate. They have an understanding, a good grasp of finance from the basic level of it. You know, um, how they utilize that information is, is another thing. I think it's the utilization and what they apply it to um, 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 that, that becomes a little suspect. But I think once you get to that particular level, you've been to high school, you've been to college, you've seen the landscape of the NCAA and the money that's made, there is more literacy than, that, than to give them credit for. Jay-Z, Biggie, or Nas? Oh, Biggie. Nice. Raptors need to. Raptors need to have LeBron tire, retire. any thoughts on owning an nba franchise yes business is fill in the blank um business is personal next project making sure my 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 son graduates high school nice jonathan this one's for you wingstop or buffalo wild wings wingstop (laughs) (laughs) that was easy jamal your dad was supposed to be apollo creed yeah at one point he was supposed to be uh it was between him and uh Uh, Carl Weathers, and they actually, uh, my dad came in second, and they actually felt they can teach an actor how to box rather than a boxer how to act. Ah. Last book read. Ooh. Actually, it's been a while. Um, I think it was something in the the chapters of, uh, um, in a series of Go-Giver. There's a thing called Go-Giver where there's a story about... um, Versus Go-Getter. Yes, yes, yes. I think that was it. That That was my last book. And Jonathan, the final question for you. Let's franchise two black guys with good credit. Yes, no, maybe so. Absolutely. You know we're, we're in this together, my brother. Yes. We're brothers from another mother. <laughs> well, Jamal, from two black guys with good credit, we would like to sincerely thank you for participating in this show. I think you've given our listeners a wealth of information. Jonathan... You got to get him in a commercial spot. This man has a lot of information to share. And uh, we just want to say thank you for participating yes. in today's show. Yeah, thank you guys. Was thank great. you. We really yeah. appreciate it. You guys have been fabulous. Uh, I mean, it's been a, a great experience. And, and I'm glad you guys have done this uh, uh, particular podcast uh, with me. I mean, uh, uh, you guys are, are wonderful. When Jonathan introduced this to me, I didn't know what it was going to be about. I understood the title, but I understood it was more than just that. And uh, you guys have impressed me uh, uh, tremendously. So good luck to you guys, and I definitely will be following you. Thank you. Thank you. means a lot. Matt, take us away. Thanks, Arlington. This sponsorship break is brought to you by CLEAN. CLEAN is a financial literacy program designed to educate youth in a fun and interactive way through class lessons, workshops, and web seminars. To bring it to a school or organization near you, please visit www.financiallyclean.com. Welcome back to Two Black Guys with Good Credit. We've been kicking it with the franchise king, and he has proven why he deserves to wear the crown. Jamal Mashburn, killing the game, people. My bottom line this week is simple. Franchising is a heck of a lot more involved than I thought. There are definitely levels to this game. And when you're on top like Jamal, life is great. But you got to choose wisely, because while you have lots of support in the franchise world, this is a serious and costly investment. And the days of the one franchise owner is over. I'm an independent operator. I own my own boutique and gallery. 
It either flies or flops the way I see fit. So if you're going to get into the franchise world, know the game before you end up being a pawn. My bottom line is simple. The fist is stronger than the finger. I think what Jamal has shown, which I've always said, is, you know, partnership with the right partners is not bad. It's not a bad idea. When you try to do this franchise thing alone and you're this one-shop thing, I think it's a higher risk. And if you find similar people with similar interests as you and partner together to try to open up multiple franchises at one time, I think it gives you more leverage, it gives you more control, and I think it creates a much stronger success rate than if you're trying to do a one-and-done on your own. So my bottom line is the fist is stronger than the finger. And don't forget to email us your questions to tbgwgc at gmail.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Two Black Guys Good Credit. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review to make it easier for others to find us. Like Amesh, who said, informative and relatable. The fact-checking, debates, and humor have helped me gain a better understanding of how to manage my credit. And it has really helped me with speaking to my husband about our finances as well. Well, you know what they say, romance without finance, right? So we're so happy you're enjoying the show. Uh, Thank you for listening. We appreciate you. And that's it for me. I'm Dion, the lady with the history, the stats, and the cold hard facts. And I'm out of here. Well, people, thanks for hanging in with us. Once again, two black guys with good credit. We're giving you all we got. And you know my motto. It's the game of life. It's wants versus needs. I'm Arlington, one half of two black guys with good credit, and I'm out. I'm Sean, the better half of two black guys with good credit. And as I say to you every week, podcast people, it's your money, keep it where it belongs, in your pocket. Talk to you soon, people. Thanks for listening. The Two Black Guys with Good Credit podcast is produced by Matt Smith and Arlington Forbes. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.